Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome everybody to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi. Uh, and um, we'll, we'll get to it. Armin Navabi is uh, settling in in his new place of residence. I, I think many of you know it, but eventually I'll let him come back and talk about it himself. Um, but he will be back the next thing. But right now, this is, again, me, and I have a, a, like a, a really, really special guest today. And we tried to do this podcast earlier. Uh, at the time, um, it was sort of difficult to get it off the ground because we were having connection issues. But today, it seems like everything is good. So our guest is, uh, he is an ex-Muslim atheist, and he's from Saudi Arabia. So Saudi ex-Muslim atheist. And comes from, he came from a very, an extremely religious practicing Saudi family. And uh, he's currently in Germany. He's uh, applied for asylum there. Uh, obviously, he's got grave risks to his uh, life and his livelihood if he goes back to Saudi. Uh, he's an activist for secularism, freedom, human rights. I've, I've uh, been granted. Oh, you have been. Okay, so congratulations. Yes. What what a great. Okay, that's really good news that we just got on the thing. Um, so, uh, Zach Al Rais is our guest for today. Zach, welcome to the podcast. I'm honored to be here. Uh, thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, so yeah, welcome. We, we, I, I know that we've been trying to get you on for a long time and technical issues have been an issue as well as everything that's been going on. So I'm so happy that you're finally here. Um, so Zach, you are an ex-Muslim atheist from Saudi Arabia. You said that, uh, that your main goal uh, in your activism is achieving a state of freedom and enlightenment in the Islamic world and more specifically in your home country of Saudi Arabia. Um, so I let's... Let's let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning because a lot of people will be interested in, you know, they're, they're, we just see all these atheists coming out of Saudi Arabia. We've seen Rahaf al Kamnoun. We've seen um, just so many. We had uh, as Salwa Zahrani on on this podcast as well. We've had many people on this podcast actually from Saudi Arabia. What is happening over there, and how did you go from this sort of ultra religious, super conservative family? into where you are now can, can you just talk about your childhood and how it all started yeah yeah sure uh so i was raised in an extremely religious uh household i say far more religious than i say the average family um saudi family um uh um i've, I've had like uh close family members um um you know uh like spent uh, years in prison uh having connections to uh terrorist organizations um uh um my my upbringing was extremely religious uh religious education or indoctrination um was very heavily emphasized um uh, i had to memorize the quran a lot uh and um you know um learn about islam and and um uh, and such um and um uh, but um uh, like uh 
another thing is that is that my my parents are uh, very well educated. Uh, they studied in the U.S. Um, um, scientific literacy and education was very important to them, and so um, so I, I suppose I suppose in this way I I, I had this um, this window uh, to the secular world and uh, towards uh, reality, um, and um, yeah yeah just um, I I. So I got uh, really interested in science of, from an early age. I, uh, the more the more I learned about the nature of the real world, uh, the more I I questioned um, what I was taught, and um, so so yeah, that that kind of started me off uh, on my journey to um, uh, rejecting my religion eventually. Um, at the so, age so of thirteen. At the age of thirteen. Yeah. Wow, that was yeah. That's uh, so. You had uh, so. Where did you live in Riyadh? In uh, Riyadh, in Saudi Arabia. In Riyadh. Oh, so you yeah. did? I guessed right. Okay, because I, I always think of Saudi Arabia and Riyadh as interchangeable because I grew up in Riyadh as well. Uh, so, wh where did you live in Riyadh? Or if you can't talk about that, that's fine too. But yeah, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I lived in Riyadh. Um, I'm not very comfortable. Um, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's being more specific about that. Totally cool. That's totally yeah. So, so you lived in uh, Riyadh. You were born there as well. I mean, your family is uh, yes. originally Saudi. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I have, I have uh, roots um, from other places, like, like uh, my my grandmother was American, and uh, so, so yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm, and sure. and do you come? Do you come from uh, to a big family? Uh, mom dad like lots of kids brothers and sisters or i have three sisters you got three sisters and they're older younger they're all younger than me they're all and and they're still there or are they yes all out so so you're the only one who actually made it out of there uh yeah yeah um yeah my, my my siblings are fairly young um yeah. there, there's there's a there's a significant age gap there mm -hmm. so so yes yeah. So you were raised, so you're pretty much, a, if your siblings are young, that means you were raised like a, a lot kind of on your own. What kind of, you said you were asked to memorize the Quran, uh, you were sort of indoctrinated. Um, when you talk about religious, I mean, when we think of Saudi Arabia, we think of people as being ultra-religious anyway. But you're saying that your your family was actually a lot more religious in a way than the average Saudi family as well? Yeah. And... Can you describe what was that like when when you were growing up? Mm. Um, so, in terms of your so, your mother, your father, what were they like in terms of their religiosity and how they raised you? Mm. Um, so, so it, it it was extremely religious. To to give you an idea, um, I remember this story uh, when I was three years old. Um, my my father convinced me to um throw away my my stuffed toys because because um yeah they, they were they were uh like idols or something like that oh um, animals yeah. yeah yeah um so so uh, that yeah that that was I, I think my one of my one of my uh first experiences um uh, right. like uh, with religious extremism mm -hmm. um yeah I, I have i have vague memories from that time um 
Yeah. Like uh, just to kind of explain to the audience there is, uh, and this is mainly a hadith based thing is that uh, when you have uh, representations of living things, according to some really ultra conservative Islamic strains is, is forbidden. So, so I, like, I, I remember I went to Juma prayer once in, in Riyadh and I had a, a t-shirt, like one of those, they had this thing, ocean Pacific OP shirts. And on the back, it had a picture of a dragon and that's a, a, an imaginary animal. But uh, they kicked me out of the mosque. They asked me to leave because they said you can't have representations of, of living yeah. things. So, so people on their on their walls, yeah, in their houses, don't go to a mosque with a with a picture on your clothes. That's uh... you you can't, yeah. And so so you have you know so you can't have pictures of living like animals or human beings or people on your walls because apparently that invites Satan into your home uh, because it is yeah. uh, it resembles idolatry. But but you're allowed to have like calligraphy or other sort of abstract art and things like that. So 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 they. But I never thought of stuffed animals. Um, I <laughs> well, I yeah. didn't think of that. Yeah, it's, it's it's really yeah. It's a, it's it's something that that I that I have a special resentment for uh, because I, I feel like I feel like it it uh, completely killed my artistic spirit uh, when I when I was young you know I like to draw and uh, all of that and and all of this um, religious uh, dogma just just completely stifled the, that uh, that uh, potentially uh, that skill that uh, potentially could have could have grown into something yeah. uh, like I might pursue it later on but uh, like uh, now, I, I I'm not really I, I don't really have any artistic skills, art music. Uh, I yeah I'm I'm trying to get back into it and uh, you know I'll ho hopefully be more artistic in the future. But um, yeah. certainly my upbringing uh, very much discouraged that. This is actually one of the things that we don't talk about enough here, but what you brought up is a really really important point. So uh, in a lot of even moderate uh, Islamic circles, just art, like like we talked about drawing things or drawing living things, portraits, human beings, animals, all of that is considered haram. And even in an even more mainstream level, even among moderate Muslims, often music is considered haram. And I know this because I grew up doing music. Unfortunately, my parents were supportive of it, but I had extended family. We'd visit relatives, and they'd show me books, like in in uh, for Shia Islam, for Pakistani Shias, they have like Tatafat al Awam, and they have Najat. They talk about how music is a sin. In Saudi Arabia, also, they used to say all the time, music is a sin. Um, once I was playing I guitar, I thought that was a Sunni thing, but yeah, no, it's it's in both. It's in Shia and Sunni, absolutely. And we would, um, I mean, they still do. The adhan is still music. The prayer call is still music. All the naha and everything that you do. I mean, in, in what's forbidden is is uh, instrumental music specifically. Like singing yeah. in itself is not considered haram. Right. Well, say, yeah, it depends on what you're singing, right? So if you're doing... Yeah, if you're singing about haram stuff, then it's... Uh, yeah, melody and rhythm is okay. So with, with Shiaism, what was okay was drum beats. If you use the drum or the what they call the duff, in I guess in Urdu, I don't yeah. know what to call it in Arabic. That was yeah. okay. That was allowed. You're allowed yeah, to be drums. Yeah, it was the same with us. Yeah, but string instruments, anything that can produce melody aside from the human voice, was was a sin. And the only reason that drums are allowed is because they use them in war 
right? Like war battle songs. So the history of that is in, in battle, they'd use the drums to, to sort of like drum, you know, to rile up the troops and, and things like that. So, but, but I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's I mean that's a basis for why the the duff is actually allowed, and it. But you're right. It just we don't talk about that enough. But it does kill. There's so many kids who are potential artists and musicians, um, and it just kills it. And I knew somebody sort of like you growing up who came from a very religious background, and in Pakistan, and he used to hang around our band. He had sort of left his family and you know become more liberal and given up the fundamentalist religion and when we used to play in rehearsal he used to uh, you know just hang around because he loved music and then one day he just took a bass and he was messing around with the bass and he wrote the song and it was amazing so we recorded it and he kept on writing songs and this guy was just he was immensely talented now he's in his early 20s he's only sort of self-taught the bass playing three or four notes and to writing these amazing melodies and I was thinking I was like he just never he never got to develop it properly because of religion and because of all of the all these dogmas so that's something we don't talk about like we always talk about terrorism and we talk about like the you know that this guy drove a car into these people we talk but the, I think the bigger thing is this millions of kids just their artistic potential, their educational potential, their ability to critically think and challenge, all of that squashed. Yeah, right yeah, it's a, just uh, this complete detachment from reality is is what it is. Like, know, uh, you're, you're taught um, so many things about the world that are just not true, and and you grow up uh, having having such a distorted image of reality um it's, it's something that i find incredibly harmful it's disgusting like uh, how how uh how people are uh are raised to to have this view of the world that's that's completely based in delusion um, having this view of the world that this life is just is just a test for for something that uh, that's going to come after this idea, um, you know, you know that that God wants wants uh, you know uh, men to have authority over women that that God doesn't like gay people that um, that God wants wants Muslims to um, to take over the world. Um, like the the consequences of this are just endless. No, they are. I, I completely agree. And we've talked so many things. I and you know when people say what is the most harmful thing about Islam, and actually I, in this case even religion overall, um, it, you know there is the the sexual shame aspect. Like sexual repression is, is a massive one. There's tribalism making people think that you know you're the chosen one. Everybody else isn't. There is this idea that you can, it's okay to believe, it's actually virtuous to believe things without evidence. Faith is this amazing thing that, you know, if you believe things without evidence, then that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's a virtue, which is absolutely anti-scientific. It's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, it it I, primes people to fall for, to be manipulated by demagogues. And it's uh, just throughout history, it's just been damaging. And this quashing of, of the artistic spirit and creative talents of 
of, of so many kids. Um, so there, there's so many harms to it. You, you were made to memorize the Quran as well? Yes, I, I was. Um, so how did, I was, how did that... I didn't memorize all of it. Uh, I like af after a while, um, you know, my my parents had had uh, like a tutor uh, come every every uh, like every other day, uh, and uh, just uh, you know you know um, help me memorize uh, the Quran. Yeah, and uh, yeah, af after after a while, I. I just I just hated it. I I didn't put up with it, and and uh, I just refused to take those lessons. And uh, yeah, uh, luckily they they gave in. They they respected my wishes. And uh, yeah, ever since ever since I was like like um, maybe twelve or so or eleven, I I, uh, I haven't haven't really um, memorized the Quran other than uh, what was required from me uh, from school. Yeah, I still remember all of those, the short surahs and everything that were required, the ones that you read during prayer. And it, it is, this is kind of a thing. We, have, we also had our Sunday sort of Islamic teachers uh, who would come in, teach us Quran, teach us how to read Arabic and, and all of that when we were in Riyadh and also in Pakistan. Um, it's I I know you were raised in a very very sort of uh, fundamentalist household, but it's interesting that a lot of the things that you're saying, like I, even me coming from a very liberal Muslim household, there are so many parallels, which kind of tells you that even with really really liberal families, some of these sort of fundamentalist um, dogmatic elements that they that they still exist, so. What what was your father like? Was your father usually? Did you have one parent who was more religious than the other? One was more supportive than the other, or yeah, absolutely, absolutely. My 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 father was was far more religious uh, than my mother. I was ever, ever since I I left my religion, I was I was uh, very much afraid of my father. Um, like if if he found out about that. I, I just didn't know what the consequences could be, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, like my, my life could have been in danger. And so, so I, I was extremely uh, afraid of my, my father for, for, for a long time. My mother, uh, I, I guess I had a closer relationship with her, even, even though she was extremely religious, I, I came out to her as an atheist, actually, uh, um, when I was in Saudi Arabia, and uh, you know, she she uh, she took it she took it really hard, but uh, yeah, um, yeah. Luckily, uh, she um, so when when I initially told her, like th there was there was there wasn't. Uh, she she didn't react very much. Um, she, she was like, okay. And, uh, later on, like, uh, like in the coming days and weeks, um, she, she, she was devastated about it. Right. Um, like, like, uh, like I, I'd see her crying a lot about it and uh, all of that. I, it was completely heartbreaking. I, I didn't uh, know what to do about it. How old were you at this time? 
Um, I don't remember exactly. Around 15, maybe? Around 15. So, so you'd been quiet about it for at least a couple of years. You know, you became yeah. an atheist when you were 13. And so before you told her, you were a little quiet about it. Uh, so, yeah, so you had to stay closeted for a little while. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I was closeted uh, pretty much until until I left Saudi Arabia. Like, my, my I didn't come out to my father and, until I came to Germany. Mm. Okay. So, and and how did that happen? So you came to Germany. Uh, how did how did you get out of Saudi Arabia and then come into Germany? And you, I know that you probably can't talk about all the details, but um, whatever you can. Uh, Talk no, I can talk about it. I can talk about okay. it. So, um, so, so, um, pretty much like immediately after I left Islam, I, I just came. I just realized how how unsafe it is. It was for me, and um, just how how uh, repressive it was. How I I couldn't express myself. How if someone if uh, people found out certain things, uh, I could be in very serious danger. I might not be able to let, leave Saudi Arabia ever. And so, so I, I did plan to, uh, you know, you know, I reside in a different country as soon as I, uh, as I was able to. Um, in 2017, I, I decided um, after doing my research, I, I decided to uh, study in Germany because I thought, uh, yeah, I, I found that to be the most, uh, the, the best option for me and the most. Uh, realistic thing that that I could be able to do um, so <clears throat> I started learning German I I, um, I I became fluent in German I uh, I took my my uh, German language exam I passed it I graduated high school I took a job I saved up some money and um, I I applied to some German universities unfortunately I was not able to um, Get in because because my my Saudi diploma just just um, didn't allow me to uh, really uh, study. Uh, so I had to um, I had to find another way about it. I I, I booked a language course. I, I got a three month um, residency visa, and um, and I I thought I would figure it out from there. Maybe I, I could take a study program as um, renew my visa or go back to Saudi Arabia with a. Uh, with a solid plan, plan to um, come back to Germany, but uh, during my time in Germany, I, uh, I, I can't. Um, a lot has happened in Saudi Arabia, and and um, I like, I I was more genuinely afraid of uh, for my life than than I ever was before, and uh, and so yeah, I I just I just came to the realization that um, that uh, I. There's no way I could I could go back, and after after a while, like I had to come to accept that uh, that mm -hmm. si since I I wasn't able to find a way to uh, you know uh, legally stay in Germany, I I had to apply for asylum. I applied for asylum in January of 2019. After that, I I um, I lived through my own means um, for around three months. Like like from my own savings and and uh, of that um, after after that I went back to the immigration office I continued with my asylum proceedings I had my I had my hearing on on the eighth of May and then I got my uh, my decision uh, the decision from the court to grant me asylum on um, on June the thirteenth of two thousand nineteen wow. and and. Um, 
Yeah, it 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 was a surprisingly short amount of time, and I consider myself uh, extremely fortunate uh, for that because because the average um, amount amount of time that it takes to process an asylum application in Germany is around uh, five or six months. Yeah, uh, yeah that's so. Yeah, that's me, a, that's amazing. Like one one to two months. So uh, yeah, um, congratulations! I, and you're you're yeah, uh, you're yeah. working now in in Germany or have right you been now? Able to yeah. No, right now, right now, um, I'm not working. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting into a program to, um, uh, to uh, get 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 a high school diploma, basically, uh, next year, so that Great. I could get into a university, uh, a German university next year. Yeah, I I, I want to um, study bioinformatics. Um, um, you know, work work with um, gene technology, and you uh, know, uh, you know, you know uh, help help improve improve the uh, situation of of um, yeah, you know, um, agriculture um, yeah. through through uh, genetic uh, manipulation. Yeah, no, that's a, that's fantastic. That's a really good field. Um, you so you said that you told your father after you came to Germany. So when did you tell them? Did you tell them when you first came in or after you knew that your asylum and everything would be? I, I told her, I told him, uh, I think, I think in February of, of 2019. Uh, so, okay. so that was, that was, that was after I applied for asylum, but before I, I actually got my, my uh, decision. Yeah, and how? So, what what happened? How what was that conversation like? So, your father was a very, very religious one. Right? He's the one, yeah. where, who you were kind of scared to go back because of because you thought. Yeah. Um. Yeah. My my. Yeah. I mean, my father was extremely religious, but like, I th I think I think um. Within the past couple of years, um. You know, my my own uh, through th throughout my own uh, like him kind of discovering my own liberal views. Like I I wasn't openly an atheist, but I was very outspoken about about uh, my my liberal views. You know, uh, religious freedom, women's rights, and so on. Um, and so and so um, he kind of had had a while to to um kind of come to terms with with the fact that i was different that i believed differently from him because because he he knew for a long time that that even even though he didn't know i was an atheist he knew that that i i had different ideas than he did yeah um, you, you were leaning more yeah. liberal in a sense yeah and um and and here's something about my father even even though he's extremely religious i've never met anyone with a bigger heart than he does Okay, mm -hmm. he is an extremely loving person, um, and uh, and he would he would accept me no matter what. Mm. And um, I I consider myself fortunate for that. Um, and and I, uh, that that kind of uh, exacerbates my my resentment towards the religion uh, as well. That that he was the victim of such a toxic ideology that that. Uh, that that he you know promoted uh, such such um, 
discussing extreme things, even though he's such a such a big-hearted, loving person. Right. And so, so yeah, it's it's, it's heartbreaking. Uh, you know the the way uh, the way my father fell into extremism and. Uh, if, yeah. Um, because you know i love him he's he's a he's a great loving individual um and 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 that that just shows how 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 destructive um this this ideology can be uh to someone who's who's so compassionate and kind and so when you called him and by the way i completely agree with you it's it's a really it's a really powerful thing that you said, you know, this, and this goes into the complexity of, you know, people who are listening to this often, they say, well, ex-Muslims, you know, you've left the religion, obviously it's irrational. Why can't you just leave it? You know, it's wrong. And you know, why are there so many complications? Well, this is why there are complications because you grow up with parents who did things for you. They may even have helped facilitate your journey towards becoming you know, a, a free thinker, and Absolutely. you know, life is about more than just your beliefs. You know, you have memories with your family. You have, you have uh, relationships with your siblings, and and the way that you grew up. There are positive associations there also, and then when you grow up, and just because of this religion, or just because of you know this difference in the way that you believe, you have to sever those things. You have to choose you're forced to make a choice between the people that you care about who you know to be big-hearted and compassionate and this ridiculous ideology and because of that you have to be geographically separated you have to Absolutely. move away and it breaks relationships it breaks hearts it, it is it's very heartbreaking and it, that's the cost that i i just want everybody who's listening to this uh to under understand what the cost of this is that this isn't just about changing your mind about a religion or a belief i mean this is something it's not just about coming out of oppression it's about giving up uh, everything that you know and that you grew up with in order to just build your identity or your sense of who you are in, in order to stay together this is a false choice that sh nobody should have to make and hopefully in the future hopefully we'll have a future when people don't have to make these choices but you you got on the phone with your father then, or you told him over the phone when you called him, and how did you start that conversation when you called him? Um, in February? I I actually texted him. Okay. Um. I I um. Yeah. As so I I sent a text um to like like I I created a group and I texted both my mother and my father. Uh, like uh, I, I wrote this this um, this long letter, which uh, which I which I posted on my YouTube channel actually, which I read out um, on my first video and um, an address to the world. Um, I uh, so so in, in this section um, to my beloved family, I like that section was was my message to my family and I texted that to him and to my mother. Uh, my father actually didn't respond to that text. My my mother uh, responded very negatively to it. Um in even like she she knew that I was an atheist, but but the 
but the fact that I was coming out to everyone, like I, I both uh, sent it to them by text and I also posted on posted it on Facebook so that everyone could see it. Um, what what, did, what uh, how did she react when she when you say she reacted negatively? What um, did she say or well, I think I think she felt extremely betrayed, you know, um, that that I, I, I was taking uh, this path of, uh, you, you know, um, being uh, being free and expressing myself and um, and and just living this life in Germany and uh, never going back to Saudi Arabia. It's yeah. Uh, she, she, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she felt extremely heartbroken and betrayed about that. And uh, like uh, until, until now, our like my relationship with my mother is is uh, is uh, really really bad because of that. She she feels like I betrayed them in in a in a very uh, major way. Yeah, and your father did he didn't respond then to your message, but he didn't respond have, then. But um, he has he been? Was there any contact after that with him? After that, um, after that, yeah, um, yeah. So, so he, so it that that was a while ago. Um, um, actually, I I said that he didn't respond. I'm I'm not sure that that's entirely true. Um, I th I, th I think he he might have texted me later. Um, but. But uh, what he did say to me eventually that um, is is that um, you know um, you're our son and and will accept you no matter what. That was that was the main uh, message that that he that he gave me. Yeah, that's so. yeah. In in such a strange, in a positive kind of way, that's heartbreaking too. You know that you know you're here is and has there been any other contact with them because. You seem really. You still seem very. You seem like you were close to them despite everything, and are are, are you you want these relationships? You'd like to maintain them, and um, do you think there's any chance of that? Any that the fact that they might potentially come and see you, or that you have any so. conversation with them? No, I don't think so because uh, because um from like we've talked about that and uh, we are in in contact like we text and we call sometimes but uh, mm -hmm. but they they've been they've been uh, very clear that that um that they're not going to um meet me because because i uh, because i'm an activist and because because you know that 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 might potentially put them in danger right with with the government oh, okay and uh, so that's right. I mean that's understandable. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't resent them for that. Yeah. And uh, what about what about your sisters? Yeah. Have you been in um, touch with them or? I have. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I have. I. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I, ha I had an extremely uh, close relationship uh, with them. Uh, when I was over there, and and um, I tr I try to maintain it, even now, um, even yeah. even though it's it's extremely difficult. You know, like I I have a five year old sister, and oh. uh, you know she she doesn't understand any of this. When I I 
like she, she tells me like like why don't you come and visit us it's it's really difficult to answer that question i how do you explain that to a five-year-old it's it's completely heartbreaking and and it's it's really really infuriating like how could you possibly respond to that uh, I, and, yeah yeah and this is and this is basically because of this religion thing and because of yeah sorry and if it like, wasn't this case the religion and the religion and the bloodthirsty uh, uh, dictatorial re regime that's um you know that's uh, that's ruling saudi arabia right now um just uh, yeah their 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 iron grip on on power um uh, stifling and and uh you know uh just just treating everyone who disagrees with them so horribly and i and i do i do want to talk about that with you a little bit as well because i know you have strong opinions on it uh, but before that i kind of wanted to now zoom out so you know we're hearing your story and and your relationship with your family and your story in Germany and, you know, which so far it seems is it's turning out pretty well. You're on your way. Um, you are very articulate when you write. I told you this off the air uh, and I yeah. hope you do write more and more. Yes. Um, and so what is, we're reading polls about people in Saudi Arabia. I mean, in 2014, uh, the Saudi government declared all atheists to be terrorists, right? And yeah. atheists were outraged about this. It's like, this is terrible, you know. But it's also the it's a reaction to something. Like, why did they suddenly decide to come up with this rule in 2014? Uh, it's because that they saw that there was a lot happening around them. Uh, when I was growing up in Saudi Arabia, we didn't have access to the internet. We didn't even know what was happening in the outside world. And the example that I've given on this podcast before is that uh, when I was, I'm, how old are you? You're, you seem like a young I'm 19. Guy. You're 19, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 44. So when I was growing up there in the 80s, every magazine, news magazine that you got, they used to go through every magazine and physically black out bare shoulders or news items they didn't want somebody to read or any woman who had, yeah, you're smiling. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I've, I've, I find that... I, yeah, I, f I find the uh, like the the sharp the sharp in your cub. It's 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 a really funny uh, <laughs> yeah. thing that you that you see in Saudi Arabia. Like like they they, they take this this uh, marker on, on all of the uh, products that feature women, and they basically draw an cub on them. Oh, so they and, yeah they uh, still do that, right? So at that time they would. Just I don't put... know. Yeah, uh, like uh, I haven't been in Saudi Arabia like for a year, and and things have been. Uh, like kind of kind of uh, changing within the past uh, year um yeah like like for the for the worse and for the better in in different ways um yeah. so I, I i don't know if they still do no. that but uh, they certainly still did that when i was there yeah so i yeah i and, and i i do want to talk about it. i'm very interested in, in getting into a conversation especially with you about it but uh yeah so so what they and it was amazing to me because you know people are thinking well they went into every Time magazine, Newsweek magazine, and the entire country that came in, and they went through each individual copy and blacked out those specific pages with permanent markers. And uh, the answer is yes, they did. 
That is exactly what they did. They had a department that went through every single copy that was going out into retail shops. And and I remember people used to do things. I heard some guys, like, they'd be, like, some of my Saudi friends would be like, oh, if you take cotton, you take rubbing alcohol, and, you know, you rub it, then it'll become, it can become clearer, and you can see what's underneath. Obviously, none of that stuff worked. And, and the, so, yeah, the example that I give of how closed off we were to the outside world was depends on the when, material uh, that's uh, that's that's being printed on it, yeah oh so you have experience with this the rubbing alcohol yeah. thing yeah <laughs> we all do so and and so yeah the example that i give is when uh, malcolm x the movie the spike lee movie was being filmed and uh denzel washington who played malcolm x uh, they all went to mecca these are infidels, right? These yeah. are not Muslim people. They went to Mecca and they shot the movie as part. Of, they showed, you know, them doing their their Hajj or their Umrah, whatever, over there. I, you know, I don't remember the movie very well. And apparently, some news magazines had stories about this about him traveling to Mecca. We just didn't get those magazines that week, and we had no idea what's going. On. I mean, this is a time. Remember that. If I took a picture on vacation and I developed those pictures, and if I wanted to show them to you, I would physically have to come to your house to show you the pictures. Like I could not text them or send them. I mean, this, it's hard to imagine now, but that's how it was. I, mean, I could not play you a song on the unless I held the speaker of the phone to it. I mean, it was a so this is the world we're talking about, and I did not know. Nobody knew that uh, he even came into the country and he left. No one knew. I found out when I went to Pakistan and I saw, I read an article about it in some magazine there. And I was like, whoa, if people found this out in Saudi Arabia, they'd freak out that they let, you know, these non-Muslims into the, the holy city. So that's how closed off it was. And, and now, you know, then I, the, the internet came and, you know, you, you try to block this, you try to block that, but you can't do it forever. And suddenly everybody's being exposed to all of these ideas and, then in 2012, this poll comes out with Gallup. I mean, Gallup does a poll showing that 5% of the Saudi population is atheists. You see 13 million downloads of the digital Arabic translation of The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. And there, I, I, I did a talk the, uh, you know, about two years ago at Harvard, at the Harvard Humanist Club uh, with, with Muslimish and there was this girl who came up to me afterwards and she was from Saudi Arabia and she said, you know, I'm from Saudi Arabia. I'm an ex-Muslim. Please, you know, I'm kind of here quietly. And then this other girl came in. She was also from Saudi Arabia and she's like, you know, I'm an ex-Muslim. Turned out there were cousins. Like they knew each other very well, but they just had never talked to each other about it until they saw each other at the event. And just really, really surreal things that you see, especially coming out of Saudi Arabia and, I, I mean, this is sort of me ranting and I'm, I'm talking too much, but what what is your experience like when you came yeah. out, you became an atheist at 13. So did you connect so, with other people? Was this thing happening there? Yeah. So, so, so let me tell you, um, actually, actually, there were a number of people uh, whom I, who I didn't know were atheists uh, or, or, uh, you, you know, uh, thought differently. Mm -hmm. As I was in Saudi Arabia, but after after I left and uh, I made that post on Facebook, um, um, they messaged me and uh, and it was like 
we we support you and we feel the same way and uh, congratulations and and i it, it was it was uh, surprising um it, how how that was yeah and uh, yeah I, I i did have actually uh, um uh, i did connect with other atheists like even even in my family um like uh, i i had an uncle who's an atheist who who who's actually out now so like uh, mm -hmm. i i can talk about it i uh, he lives in the us um and um i i, hmm, I had yeah like uh yeah other than that i i i had some friends at school who um you know afterwards came came to message me came and out, yeah. uh, and uh tell me that that uh they uh feel the same way so yeah uh so so it is something that's kind of happening there just like it's happening in all of these other of the uh, Muslim majority countries and uh, when when you were there though I mean so you, so you got to know these people when you came out but while you were there when you gave up religion at the age of 13 and then you know later two years later you tell your mom when you're 15 so on how, how uh, were you in touch did you think that you were the only one or did you think did you know there were other people in Saudi Arabia that may think like you. I mean, I, yeah, I, I certainly knew that there were other people. I, I knew a couple of people. I didn't know a lot of people. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know many people. But did you? There. Yeah, so uh, did you ever feel like, um, did you feel alone or did you think that, okay, once I get out of here, I'm going to meet more people like me? Um, while I was there, I felt very, very alone. I felt, I felt extremely, um, isolated, you know, even like, like, uh, um, uh, that's, that's, um, uh, something, something I, I talked about, um, well, well, yeah, um, so, yeah, like th there was there was this one time, for example, where I was I was sitting in a in an Islamic studies class, and I I had a a classmate whom whom I I considered like like a kind of a close friend at the time, and and I I didn't know uh, like he didn't know I was an atheist, and uh, the, the teacher was was telling telling us like uh, me like one of those made up stories about about a conversation he was having with an atheist um and uh, he he just he just out of nowhere blurted out but like but but why isn't he killed he he should be killed uh, yeah the the teacher was like yeah he should be killed but uh, uh yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but but just 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 the hear, hearing something like this from from someone whom I I considered a friend was was uh, just uh, something that um, really brought this uh, this issue into clarity for me. Uh, right, that that I was extremely isolated. 
that that basically I was uh, I was considered the enemy of everyone around me. I, I, I was just hiding it. And uh, so when when you said that your parents had you, you know, they were very they were sort of U.S. educated. They helped you study science, and and they promoted that. Was there a moment when you were thirteen that you decided, okay, I can't believe this stuff anymore? Or was it a gradual process? Was there anything you read or anything you were exposed to that online or uh, that made you eventually leave? Because you sound very, yeah. when you say 13, you, you sound very specific, like, okay, that's the time when I knew. What, what was yeah, that I, event? I, I, I remember it um, really vividly. I, um, so, so, my, so the final... Uh, the final straw there, the, uh, the last thing that that just made me think that this this can't be uh, the the correct prescription. Uh, like uh, that, this. Okay, those can't be the the correct values that that uh, that God is prescribing. For us, even even if God did prescribe those values to us, they're just wrong. They're they're disgusting. Um, you, you know, uh, reading um, my like the moment where I realized I was actually like on a camping trip. I I decided, okay, I I need to get to the bottom of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the Quran critically this time. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to understand it. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna look at what it says. Does it does it, um, it does it agree with my my human values? Does it um, like um, like is is it something that I can live with? And so when when I decided to read it and uh, I I went through it and I, I went through especially especially chapter four uh, Surah Al Nisa. The women. Um, it's the, the, yeah. That's the chapter about the women. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that, like, reading that chapter and uh, reading all of the misogynistic, uh, horrendous uh, things that that are in there, just just um, uh, especially um, yeah, first verse, verse thirty four, uh, which uh, it's. It it says that men have authority over women and wives that disobey their husbands should be beaten. Um, yeah, like after reading that and and uh, thinking about it, I I decided that I I I could not support this anymore. Yeah, when it actually allows uh, husbands to beat their wives if they fear disobedience from them. So yes, not only if they disobey, but but if they fear. Uh, disobedience then they're allowed to beat them and the defense of that is well that's a last resort but you know <laughs> whatever it is it allows you to beat them I mean, this is just completely we're talking about the creator of the universe right and it, it rules for all time obviously you know this is not something that I, and, and this is a verse that that is cited by this verse i think more than any is cited by ex-muslims and uh so as as a sort of turning point, you know, when when yeah. the thing that kind of pushed yeah, them over the edge. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely um, the it it was definitely what pushed me over the edge. 
Right. Okay, so so that happens. So, so now let's um, talk about. So you're you're in Germany now. It's all happening. Your uh, Saudi Arabia is changing massively. Okay, so uh, everything's very different there. When I was growing up, it was extremely different. Um, when you were growing up, it was, it was very different as well. And and then recently we have had uh, this guy, uh, you know, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, he's come up. Uh, he is instituting. He was initially when he came on, he was looked at as a great reformer. He was uh, in his early thirties. Uh, he advocated for women being able to drive because in Saudi Arabia, women were not allowed to drive until very, very recently. And even now, many women are not allowed to drive. Yeah, March um, of two thousand eight. Right. So, so there is. Uh, so we had, uh, we had that. Uh, he he. He has uh, greatly taken away the powers of the of the religious police or the Mutawin uh, over there. Um, so they're not able to do the kind of thing. When I was there, they would, if your hair was too long, you tucked it up under your hat. If you were a man and you were a boy, yeah. your hair was too long, you tucked it up under your hat. But if they saw it, they'd just take you to the Mutawa station. They'd shave it. Uh, they'd, they'd hit women on the head if their hijab slipped too far off their heads in public. Uh, they would they would do all kinds of things, and now it's uh, so so he's kind of clamped down on that, <clears throat> and so so he was being looked at as a reformer. He had his vision twenty thirty was I think that's what it was called, where Saudi Arabia knows that its days as an oil exporting country are numbered, and that's really the only thing that they had for a very long time, uh, and they need they're going to need to do new things. So he's, he wants to open up the country to tourism. He wants to attract foreign investment. He wants to open up movie theaters and, and places where the sexes can intermingle. Uh, and so he was thought Actually, of that way. Single men are yeah. not allowed in like uh, so. So movie theaters now um, yeah. don't don't really allow uh, men and women to intermingle. Uh, so yeah. so yeah, like movies are either for families or for single men. Yeah. Right. So. But I mean, th- uh, this is a this is still a far cry from the fact that there were no movie theaters. Yeah. Like, there were there were no movie theaters there. We used to get all of our videos on like when we watch movies, it was all on VHS tapes, and they came in and they're usually censored and so on to get to rental movies and stuff. But there's so he's doing these reforms, but at the same time, you know, he talks about trying to end corruption and you know getting all of his sort of opponents, political opponents, other family members into locking them up in the Ritz-Carlton and then getting money from them. Uh, but at the same time, he dropped, I think, what, $450 million on a Da Vinci painting, which was an image of Jesus, apparently, which is, which is crazy, because that's supposed to be bidda anyway. They made you throw away your stuffed animals, and this guy just dropped like a half a billion dollars yeah. on, on a Da Vinci painting showing Jesus. Uh, he dropped money on a yacht. Uh, he is continuing the horrific war in Yemen. Uh, he and then you know the the event that shook up the world um, was his murder, the brutal murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the the journalist uh, in in uh, Turkey, where he was dismembered and his body was body parts were thrown into different parts um, of the city. So there's. Uh, and and importantly, this is probably one of the most important things, is that the, even though he said, I'm going to allow women to drive, he took all of the women who actually helped make that happen by protesting. The women who um, 
are have been fighting. The activists have been fighting for the right of women to drive through them all in jail, their prison, and and we've, we've been hearing horrible abuse stories. So, what's going on with this guy? What what is your take on it? I know hmm. everybody's ambivalent about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so I think I think that that the reason that he's that he's um, like making all of those changes not not just the good like like women driving and movie theaters uh, but also the bad like like um you know imprisoning activists and torture and uh beheadings at a rate that that we haven't seen before yeah. um like yeah, I, I think uh, like capital punishment for everything from drugs to sorcery right yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I, th- I think i think what's going on is is that like like he's he's realizing that that um if if this uh country is to be ruled um by by islam and only islam um he like like the royal family is going to have less power he's going to have less power the um so, so you know you, you can't control religion that much religion can be a uh, can, can be a barrier to to those dictators right mm-hmm. uh that's like that's the reason that uh you know you know like uh you know dictators like stalin uh were were really hard on religion because um because oftentimes religious uh doctrines don't uh, like are stubborn they they don't they don't conform to the ruler and uh one uh like very uh a clear example of that is uh um Al Qaeda, yeah, uh, the the, um, yeah. the terrorist organization. Um, it's it's based on on the same ideology that that the Saudis have, but it's it's also uh, very much opposed with the Saudi government. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so so I th- I think what what he wants to do is is to move away from religion and uh, move closer to to kind of kind of a cult of personality, right? Um, mm-hmm. To um, and a nation where uh, where the where nationalism and uh, reverence for uh, for uh, the leader like like him like Mohammed bin Salman are are even more important than religion and and that's 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 something that uh, that would be uh, incredibly useful for him. So right? so hasn't it a kind of to some extent, that's been true throughout because I I know that with like the Saudi monarchy, like they're the kind of stuff that they do, you know, they go overseas and every, I mean it's all very well known that these are not exactly the most religious fundamentalist people. I mean they're they're extremely they're extremely liberal. They're very very westernized, uh, but they rule. They use religion to kind of rule the people and manipulate them and keep them subservient. So. And and there was always this balance with all of these Middle Eastern and especially Arab dictatorships is that, you know, you use the religion to keep people, to control the masses, right? Use that to enforce the law that, you know, and, and you, you can control them that way. But if someone gets too religious, then they could rise up against you. So you also want to make sure that you keep that um, under control, and this is very confusing to people in the West. Yeah, exactly, like that's a little bit... that's why that's I I, th- I think that's why uh, like the main reason why uh, 
those religious uh, reforms like movie theaters and and stripping the power of the religious police and all of that is uh, is happening. It, he doesn't want, uh, you know, uh, those uh, those religious leaders to become too powerful. You know, yeah. he, he wants to have the absolute power. So and but it, is he not? Um... Do you think that there is any motivation of him trying to move into because it, it should to keep his power, he also needs money. Like Saudi Arabia has had this Saudi royal fab, family traditionally for the longest time has had this status and this, you know, this net worth that people say is close to a trillion dollars actually, right? That they have just this one family. Um, and, and they've had this power because uh, they have been on the receiving end of all that money. They've been extremely, extremely rich. And all of that money has come from their oil reserves. So now as, you know, the U.S. used to be very dependent on Saudi oil. Now it's, you know, the U.S. gets only about 8 to 9% of its uh, oil from Saudi Arabia. Um, during the Obama years, Obama actually com- completely turned that around. He did it with, you know, offshore drilling and more sort of U.S., uh, internal sources of, of oil in the U.S. Uh, more other countries have done that too. And as the world changes, he knows that uh, oil is not going to be that much of a hot commodity. And if he wants to maintain the status and keep the money rolling in, he's going to have to start getting it from other sources. Right? So when he does that, isn't he more under more susceptible to international pressure because now he's dependent on other countries for good economic relationships. He wants to show them that we have stability in Saudi Arabia. He's dependent on them to come and invest in the country, uh, in other things as well. He's, he wants to open it up to tourism. So shouldn't there be some kind of motivation where he's not doing stuff like what he did with Khashoggi and imprisoning the activists? I mean, I guess the question is, is there, isn't he more susceptible to this pressure? Can't we apply more pressure on him now? Or do you think he's still resilient, like in a sense? I honestly don't really know. I mean, I mean, it's, it certainly seems that he's, uh, that he's trying really, really hard to, um, to get the approval of the West. But at the same time, he is, he's also, um, you know, uh, trying really hard to, uh, you know, essentially turn Saudi Arabia into into this huge just cult of personality uh, that mm-hmm. that just follows him uh, on in whatever uh, he does, and, and um, so so th- there's there's no real um, hmm. yeah, like you can't have it both ways, right? You can't right. you can't uh, you can't appease the uh, the free world and and uh, people who hold uh, free and democratic values, while while at the same time trying to um, uh, um, consolidate absolute power right. for for yourself and just yourself. Um, so I think I think that's the conflict, and uh, you know that that's what that's why his his. Uh, his attempts to appease uh, the West and and uh, you know uh, the uh, the powers in the world 
aren't aren't succeeding right he he can't yeah. he can't just uh give people rights uh, he can't he can't uh give people rights and uh, and freedoms and um, you know you know uh just uh, the yeah what's what's needed in a in a free society while also uh, consolidating absolute power yeah so uh, no, no i i uh, and i get that completely where where do you see it going from here so that, I, I mean okay before that question i guess there's this idea that and this is something armin and i talk about armin is absolutely uh you know 100% against him i saw my like nobody really loves this guy but he's absolutely against him because mainly because of the war in yemen like arvin really really thinks of that as the biggest human rights disaster humanitarian disaster in the world right now and the I mean, us i mean it's not just arvin's opinion it's it's uh, it's no no it's mine i too. I, 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 UN, I agree with him on the that. un security council's uh, opinion yeah yeah no, no, I, I agree with that too, and I, I think that both Obama and Trump enabled that. Um, I, you know, that's so that's. I agree that it is the worst thing, but the question is about this guy, this MBS status. Like, what do you do with him? My opinion, the way that I see it, is that I'm thinking that he's here, and there's a situation, and all these reforms are sort of happening phenotypically. Right, you're just kind of seeing them on the surface, but what's happening underneath is is. Uh, it's probably not happening with the best of motivations. I, I think it's pretty yeah. obvious it isn't. Yet, at the same time, I remember the alternative. Okay, so when you have like a horrible situation, you think about, okay, if you remove this horrible situation, what is the alternative? And when the alternative is even worse, then you are in a situation where you're choosing between bad and worse. And the bad is a little bit better than what it used to be for the for the longest time. And I think that that is kind of the approach of a lot of European and, and you know, the U.S. And, and some of the European countries, too, towards him. That, okay, this is, considering that this is Saudi Arabia, right? if we don't have this guy, we're going back to the same kind of thing that we did before, which was yeah. even worse. And... Having lived there and having coming from there and being sort of you're pretty astute when it comes to these issues, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot and have you solve all the world's problems, uh, but just your opinion. Do, do you think there is any merit to that argument that, well, you know, we have him, let's work with him because the alternative is worse, and let's use an incremental approach. I I don't think there's any good reason to think that that this that what Saudi Arabia is moving toward is better than than what it was before. Sure, what, what it was before was absolutely mm -hmm. awful, but what it's moving towards is also absolutely awful. Um, you can think of it like like um, look at look at um, Iran and North Korea, for example. Iran is more, is uh, very heavily uh, ruled by by um, uh, very uh, heavily controlled by by religious clerics and uh, people who you know. Uh, who hold uh who like take ideology ideology as as the primary uh, um thing that's that's used in ruling right 
and and then there's there's the other side of that. Uh, the mm-hmm. I, I guess the other side of the spectrum, um, you could look at North Korea, for example, right? North Korea um, is is very uh, very much against religion, right? Um, they the 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 way that it's ruled is 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 more through uh, uh, you you know. Uh, group thinking and uh you know you know uh uh, uh following uh individuals you know right. the leader the leader is is everything and i don't i don't i honestly don't know which is worse right is it is it the situation that iran is in is it the situation that north korea is in um saudi saudi arabia certainly uh, moving, uh, you know, moving in the direction of uh, like a North Korea-style dictatorship uh, from a more, a more uh, like religiously based one. But um, and do, uh, yeah, they're both absolutely awful. Um, but do, do you I, think Saudi Arabia I wants one over the to... other? Yeah, but I mean, the, the do you think Saudi Arabia uh, wants to be that isolationist? Because I think I've always thought the one difference between Saudi Arabia compared to a country like North Korea or or even Iran is that it does not want to isolate itself from the world. It does not want to isolate itself, especially from Western powers like the European yeah. country, European democracies, and the U.S. Um, in the past, that was because of oil, because they had a lot of power, and they just tend to have they've had a historically good relationship, and that has benefited them a great deal, right? Um, so I can't imagine them. I understand that you know, in terms of him trying to get power, you know, he wants to get a whole bunch of power, and that level, you know, you have this whole thing of you know, he wants to become like the dictators of North Korea and Iran. But I, the, with North Korea and Iran, a big part of it is that the fact that they're very, very isolated uh, from the rest of the world, and they're cool with that. They're totally okay with it. Um, Saudi Arabia doesn't seem to be totally okay with it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be opening up all the investments and the Vision 2030 and all that. So it it's kind of new. And I, I guess we'll just sort of wait and see. I think the people who said that he was a great reformer right in the beginning were completely off base. They should have been more patient. Um, but uh, I, I don't really know how much of a doomsday scenario it's really going to be. So, you know. We can we can kind of see. Are, are you in touch with activists in Saudi Arabia uh, who may be closeted, who may not be totally out? But do you correspond with them, or, or even just young people, people your age in Saudi Arabia? How do they think about him? Because I've sort of seen when I hear from young people in Saudi Arabia that they still seem enthusiastic about him. They're looking at the positive more than the negative. Is, is that something that you have noticed as well? Yeah, it certainly is. A lot of a lot of uh, young people in Saudi Arabia are, uh, yeah, yeah, um, shockingly supportive of 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 all of that. I th- I, th- I think it might be just just um, I I don't know. Maybe maybe they're just um, you know look looking at the very surface of of. Uh, of the situation, and and that that might be why. Oh, 
Do you think it's possible that they? It, it might be because they are, they're on the ground there, and they, they think, okay, you know, the surface of the situation, at least, or are they just they're just more pragmatic about the fact that okay, well, whoever we get, whoever our leader is going to be, is going to be an asshole, but at least this asshole is <laughs> allowing us to do some things that the other assholes won't. Uh, I mean, do do you think there may be an element of that? Or... Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, even even uh, people who who don't really care about about um, you know politics, human rights, that that kind of thing, they you know they want to have fun. They they want to they want to go watch movies. They want to go to parties. They want to drink. They want to um, uh, you know um, like intermingle with the other sex. It's and and. Uh, when when someone's uh, you know comes comes along and and says you know you can do that stuff now, um, then they're gonna appreciate it. Yeah. Since you 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 came when you were younger, before you first moved out and got to Germany, did you ever travel overseas and and go on vacations to other places with your family or? I have a few times, yeah. Like uh, like uh, in. Like outside of the Arab world, I I went to like I went to Switzerland once with my family. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, other yeah, otherwise I I I went to um, m- multiple countries um, within the Islamic Arab world. Yeah, what what do you miss most about Riyadh? <laughs> Riyadh is the most boring place in the world. <laughs> Um, yeah. I mean, my family, right? I miss my family. Um, I I miss I miss some people in Riyadh, but when it comes to the city itself, I don't think I I don't think there's anything I miss about it. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 school did you you went to high school in Riyadh, right? Yeah. Dude, uh, or can you say which school you went to, or no? Um, yeah, sure. I I I, I went to um, a school called called. Uh, well, I graduated from a school called uh, Khaled International School. Uh, oh, Khaled International. Okay. Yeah. And was it? Did you get your instruction in English? Yeah, yeah, just primarily in English. Mm-hmm. So I I was so in in my book. I talked about. It, I got some excerpts from books textbooks uh, in Saudi Arabia uh, that were that they were teaching younger people and right from grade one uh, they were talking about you know you only make friends with Muslims and you don't yeah. make friends with non-Muslims and uh, you know you grew as it got older you know the Jews are the apes and pigs and you know all of that you, you know the kind of things that they show uh, dying in jihad jihad is a great thing to you know fight and die in the way of Allah and so on they're teaching that by high school. Uh, were you were you taught those things in school as you? Absolutely, yeah, I, I was. I mean, I mean the uh, the so so the Khaled International School was was uh, like to to their credit, they they um, they they tried to you know, be less extremist than, than uh, the standard. I, I only, I only went there, um, like, uh, on, in, 
in like the last two years of school. Before that, um, I, I was in another international school uh, called uh, Al-Ruad. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that that other school was was uh, like like far more um, far more involved with it, with the ex- extremist indoctrination, um, and and uh, yeah, pr- pretty much everything that uh, that that sudden like other other Saudi schools like not making friends with non-Muslims, apostates uh, having to be killed, uh, um, gay people being killed. Um, uh, stoning for adulterers, all of that, um, uh, all of that was very much emphasized. Um, we were uh, like, uh, like even in class, um, uh, I, I asked the teacher a question, like, like, uh, so, so if if a wife doesn't doesn't want to have sex with with her husband, uh, like, what what should the husband do? I was I was curious about that question. Um, so. Um, yeah, he he mm-hmm. said, "Well, well, it's his, it's his right. He can just take it, basically. Yeah. Rape. Yeah, that yeah. that was just just casually uh, said that you know, rape rape is okay. Uh, yeah, that, I mean that was a pretty that was a pretty common question, and uh, I remember well the Arab news." They used to have a weekly thing where you could ask questions about Islam and the expert Islamic experts would respond to you. And some of them were so funny. Like I remember a, a, a friend of mine and, you know, we used to sit and we used to read them every week. Like one guy would write, he's like, you know, what if, you know, you, a, a man is sucking on his wife's nipple and he swallows a few drops of her milk. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that and we're obviously, we're in high school, so we're laughing our asses off, like just reading this story. The answer was apparently that he would have to redo his marriage vows. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, That's, once you, wet nursing is... it. But like, you have to, you have to, you have to, like if, if we're getting technical about, about Islamic theology here, you have to nurse from a woman like three or five times in order to become her son so yeah so i think that this was that sweet spot where he wasn't her son yet but he still had to renew his marriage vows he still it still broke his nikah which is a, you know the, the the marriage contract in in islam it still broke that so he had to redo that but still he hadn't become her son yet that mm. was the idea these are the these are the important issues of the day that we've been talking about in the 21st century, ladies and gentlemen. Like this is the this is what's what's important. Uh, this is another another problem with religion is it makes you discuss things and it makes you get into quote unquote intellectual debate about completely ridiculous things. I a few years ago, and I I, I was uh, in correspondence with uh, this guy who's who's a cardiologist. A practicing cardiologist in the U.S. I, I am a, an oncologic pathologist, so we're both, you know, physicians. You know, we've done a lot of school, learned a lot of things, and uh, I told him he asked me to point out something that was wrong in the Quran. So I pointed out uh, verses. Uh, let's see, eighty Surah eighty six verses five through seven, and I just to get it right, I'm going to read these out to you guys directly. So just give me a second. Uh, Surah 86, verses 5 through 7. And there you go. It's from Surah Tariq. And 
The verse says, so let man observe from what he was created. He was created from a fluid ejected, emerging from between the backbone and the ribs. Right. So I told him that is scientific error. We were ejected. We were created that semen or sperm is not ejected from between the backbone and the ribs. Sperm and semen are not created in the chest. It's created. We know where they're created from or where they come from. And, uh, he wrote an entire blog entry about our conversation called, the title was, uh, Does a Quran Say Sperm is Created in the Chest? And I just saw that title. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, this is a cardiologist, and I'm a pathologist, and we're having a debate about whether the Quran says a sperm was created in the chest. And it's just fantastic. I, it's from, and when it comes to entertainment value, it's just amazing. You can't beat it. The kind of yeah, things like spend hours the, and hours the, talking about. Yeah, that uh, that topic specifically, I've 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 had like really long debates with Muslims about um, the amount of mental gymnastics that they have to go through is 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 honestly quite impressive. Uh, like it is. Like there's there's this. Uh, <laughs> um, I I saw this one argument saying saying that okay so so when when the testicles first start developing in the fetus they're kind of between the backbone and the rib and so that's <laughs> yeah yeah there was this other thing that it doesn't the the backbone is the man's and the ribs are the woman's so that is what the verse is saying right and yeah, ultimately, yeah. I've, yeah i've had like uh, weird conversations about is there a sexual position where that's even possible? Yes, where, exactly. <laughs> where the where where the testicles of a man would be between between the man's backbone and the woman's ribs? Yeah. Like, can can you even imagine a sexual position where 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 this would be happening? Right. I I don't think there is. No, no, no. There. I I think that there's. A, you could probably create one all the time, but it would be strange to say that that yeah. is a specific instance that. When the creator of the universe, the almighty, you know, the uh, omniscient, the guy who knows yeah, everybody. certainly wouldn't be the anything. Rules. Yeah, he decides to write about it. He's like, let's talk about where sperm is created out of. So I'm going to think about this one specific position that's really, really difficult. And we are going to position the testicles right there. And then uh, this is how I'm going to describe it. It's, it's just mind-blowing. And, and people will, and I'm talking about specialists, cardiologists who believe, who grew up believing this stuff will go through hoops to justify why this is correct and why this is the best way you could possibly articulate this fact. Like Because it, it has to be. It was divine. It has to be the best way. What other way are you going to say it? Uh, so, it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. And there are, uh, you know, and this is another, for people who are listening and, uh, October 26th, I'm speaking on uh, Islam and science in Detroit, in Dearborn, actually, Dearborn, Michigan, uh, which is uh, apparently the largest, in terms of population density, it's the largest Muslim community uh, um, outside of the Islamic world. It's near Detroit. So I'm heading over there and I'll be speaking on Islam and science and whether they can coexist. And you know, my answer is that, of course, they can coexist. They coexist all the time, but does, that does not mean they're compatible. You know, they are obviously, this uh, the way that faith works and the way, way that science works 
they're completely antithetical to each other. They contradict each other. They can't exist together. So I think that's going to be a more interesting discussion later on. But anyway, um, Zach, what are your plans for the future? So now, you know, you're here, you're, you're in Germany, you're set. Are you getting yeah. asylum? You're looking to a career in bioinformatics, which is an amazing field. Um, and you are as active as ever with everything that you're talking about. Uh, what do you want to do in the future? What are your plans? What do you want to announce? Anything? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I, I haven't, I haven't really um, completely. In terms of my activism, um, I, I would really like to in the future, uh, as, as I like settle in more and, uh, and you know, um, uh, where I'm, I'm more financially and and. Uh, you know, uh, j just financially stable and uh, uh, and such. Um, um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. be be more active um, in in helping um, minorities like ex-Muslims, women, uh, um, LGBTQ plus people. Yeah, women aren't a minority, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you get what I mean. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, perhaps perhaps start something of my own if if I don't find something um, entirely effective. Um, hmm. You know, uh, more yeah, more more advocacy, more um, you know, raising uh, help help raise funds for people in difficult situations um, to to get out get out of them. Um, right now, right now, I'm, I'm, for example, speaking uh, with with um, this ex-Muslim refugee in South Korea, Mahdi Sulal. Um, he he uh, went to South Korea from Saudi Arabia, and now he's stuck there. Uh, they're not giving him asylum. Um, he doesn't have any money, and there's there's really nothing that can that can uh, help him. And and so so I. I I, I want to get more involved in in helping people like that, uh, not not only like outside of of uh, their countries, even even people who are still in their countries. Um, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I, th I think I think it would be great to have to have um, the this this support, this um, uh, community, um, people being uh, um, financially supported to. Uh, to leave those oppressive situations and and uh, lead lead a life of their own where where uh, they 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 have control, you know. Um, yeah, I, I mean the, I mean my my aspirations, my my hopes are endless. But what's what's realistic? Uh, like I do, I don't know to what extent they're realistic. You know, like things like scholarships for for people in those situations, right? Someone. Someone who might who might want to go and and study in a in a free country and and pursue a career of their own and and express themselves how, however they want you know like mm -hmm. like the situation where where I was in um, yeah. I think I think that that's something that that would be very helpful um, and and I, I I hope that that 
in the future, I'm, I'm able to uh, pursue those things and uh, and and really help people uh, through that. I, I just I just don't know how uh, to what extent that that's feasible. Yeah, and uh, you said you had a YouTube channel. Yes. Right? Uh, and how can, yeah, how can uh, people find it? Yeah, just just uh, search Zach Alreus on YouTube. Alreus, um, so um, Z A C. A L R A Y Y I S. Yeah, and we'll um, put the link in the description as well. Yeah, so I'm actually going to look at it right now. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You were saying. Uh, I I I was I was just uh, spelling oh, out you were my. About that. Yeah, so my you name. had the Zach Al, Al Reyes, and you've got some, you know, you've got some good. Oh, so you have a video on. Saudi schooling and Islamic extremism. Uh, you have one for the autism uh, uh, without Allah campaign. Uh, you're talk you have another video about claiming asylum and your experience with that. Um, so you have uh, you've actually yeah you you've actually written quite a uh, you've got quite a bit of content over here that yeah, is videos. probably very useful to people. Yeah, nicely produced. 70. Do you produce these yourself or who does them? Yeah, I, I or, produce them. Or do you have a team? No, no, I, I, uh, for for now, I I don't have anyone that supports me. I don't even have a computer. I do it all on on my phone. Right. So yeah, yeah that's that's fantastic. So uh, everybody, yes, Zach Al Rias, so the way that his name is, uh, go on and um, find him on YouTube. Yeah, actually, I, actually, um, actually, actually, I I would I would like um. To to ask something, I, I don't know if if this is uh, this might sure. be a little bit presumptuous, but uh, but I, I would I would like to find someone that that would uh, that would be able to help me uh, translate my videos. So so some of my videos are in Arabic, some of them are in English, and uh, and I I try to always have subtitles um, for you know for people to understand. And uh, now that I don't have a computer, I can't I. I'm not able to produce subtitles, so uh, yeah. so if there's someone out there that that could uh, that could you know uh, make subtitles for me, um, uh, like I I think that's uh, yeah that's that's very important because because I I, I want to reach people uh, you know uh, that that speak um, you know um, yeah those two of the, uh, both of those languages. Uh, Right. So, if any there's anybody out there who can speak Arabic and English and who's uh, able to translate and wants to get in on this project, and uh, with with Zach, uh, please get in touch uh, with him, or you can get in touch with us and we can pass on the message. Either way, but um, I think you're pretty available. You're on Facebook. You're on Twitter. You're on YouTube. You've got your channel. You're creating content. So I think you're doing a really good job. And hopefully, I hope I can meet you at some point. Um, it'll yeah, be fun yeah to I really hope so. Come around and do it. Uh, were you able to? I think uh, in in Berlin they had that event recently. Yeah. With Harris and Armin, were you able to go there or? Yeah, I, I was able to go there. I I had uh, I I had I had uh, a pretty good like long conversation with Armin uh, uh -huh. and Mohammed Hisham. I yeah uh, yeah, uh, yeah we we talked about a lot about about uh, ex-Muslim refugees and how how. Um, we might be able to help them and uh, and uh, so on. Yeah, yeah. So that's fantastic. Anyway, um, Zach, 
thank you very much. Really appreciate it. You know, we've taken a lot of your time. And congratulations on the asylum. Congratulations on your journey and all the content you're producing. Uh, you're a pretty young guy. I think you have a lot more to go. You've already done so much now. And uh, anything any of us can do to help, you know, we're totally ready to. So I'm glad we finally got you on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, so take care, everybody else. Uh, our next episode, we're going to have Sarah Hayder. Sarah Hayder is coming back uh, from, um, you know, fresh off the Bill Maher show. She was on there, uh, and she did uh, the interview over there, which was amazing. Uh, so she's going to be speaking with us uh, soon. You're going to hear that in the next episode, and, and we have a lot more sort of interesting stuff coming up. Um, Dave Silverman is going to be back on the podcast. I'm also going to do an episode where I'm going to sit there and question Armin about all of the statements he's made that are controversial, uh, about how he can be a, a Nazi and pro-Zionist at the same time. And uh, he's going to defend himself, and I'm going to put him in the hot seat. So there's a lot more fun stuff coming up. Uh, until then, uh, thank you very much for listening again, and we'll see you next time. Okay. The Secular Jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.